the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. I'd like to say help. I seem to be trapped in Roswell, New Mexico. I can't get away from the place. I'm still here, we're still high atop the International UFO Museum and Research Center, which means I'm still on the ground floor in a room without a window. So I don't know what's going on outside. Today I'm joined by Kathleen Martin, the niece of Barney and Betty Hill, who's been doing a production research for decades, who's well aware of the Barney and Betty Hill case, because obviously she's the niece. And we're gonna be dis- discussing that and some other aspects of uh, ufology. So Kathleen Martin, welcome to A Different Perspective. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you today. And it's nice to have you in the same room with me as opposed to (laughs) chatting on the phone or that Uh sort of thing. Uh, Can you give us a little bit of your background so we know exactly who you are? Okay. Well, you mentioned that I'm the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. My mother was Betty's sister. Uh, I grew up in Kingston, New Hampshire, small town in New Hampshire, went to the University of New Hampshire and studied social work with a focus on psychiatric social work Um, then moved with my first husband to cincinnati ohio where he was earning his doctorate in the philosophy of psychiatry and i needed to get a job right away to support us the first job i could get was a teaching position in the inner city and so uh, i began graduate work in education then uh, eventually moved, got divorced, remarried, uh, raised five sons, two biological children. And, uh, you know, I, I started doing 
research in this field after being an educator and education services coordinator what, for many years. And that was about 30 years ago. What prompted you to get into the UFO research? Was it the Barney Medihill case specifically, or was it something else that drew you in? Well, there were many things that drew me in, but I wanted to separate fact from fiction in the Hill case because in the 1980s, there were a lot of television programs and articles written in mainstream uh, newspapers that really didn't have the ring of truth for me, from my memory of what had occurred. I wanted to do the research. I wanted to become a UFO investigator so that I could investigate the case. I knew all about doing archival research from my uh, ed education. And uh, we even retraced the entire route that Betty and Barney took in that time frame uh, on those back roads because now there are super highways i wanted to find out if my husband and i who were 25 or about 20 years older than betty and barney at the time that they took that route if we would end up hallucinating too as one of the debunkers said that betty and barney must have been we weren't hallucinating. Well, let me ask you two questions. One, probably politically incorrect. For people who don't know, Barney and Betty Hill were a mixed race couple. Yes. In the 1960s. That's true. Which is, I cannot imagine the problems they might have faced simply because of that. And they didn't want publicity. They asked for confidentiality. It wasn't them who went forward with the story. The story was published in the Boston Traveler, and it was the result of a violation of confidentiality. So it, it had a huge impact. One of Betty's friends uh, from Massachusetts knew the entire story. Um, they had met through Admiral Herbert Knowles, uh, uh, who lived in Elliott, Maine, who had an interest in the Hill case. And this woman knew everything that had happened and what Betty and Barney stated under separate hypnosis sessions with Dr. Benjamin Simon, uh, where- So she, she told the newspaper. She told the man from the newspaper. And he, in fact, contacted Betty and Barney. He wanted to interview them. And they said, absolutely not. This is confidential. We'll lose our jobs. We'll lose our standing in the community. Was the reporter uh, skeptical of the sighting? Was he uh, uh, kind to them? Was he nasty to them? Was What was his attitude toward the, the story? His attitude seemed to be pretty neutral. It was okay. as if, you know, he were just writing this. He published five articles, separate articles, five days in, in uh, October of uh, 1965. Well, let's let's back up a minute because we talk about the Barney and Betty Hill, and of course, I know the case, and I assume a lot of people know about the case. But maybe there's somebody out there that's not really familiar with it. So give us kind of the uh, Cliff Notes version of, <laughs> of of the sighting and, and what happened. Sure. Well, Betty and Barney were on vacation to Niagara Falls, and then up through Canada. They stopped in Montreal. This was over a period of a couple of days, and three days, I believe. And uh, they were traveling to their home in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, on the seacoast uh, at night. And uh, at about 11 o'clock that night, they had their first sighting of a new light in the sky. Uh, Betty? Just a light in the sky, like a star? Or? Well, a new light in the sky. Uh, Betty at first thought it might be uh, a falling star, but it it traveled upward in an arc, and that really attracted her attention. Uh, she was trying to identify what it might be. Well, Barney drove along. It was a bright, light night in upstate New Hampshire. Betty continued to watch it as it grew larger and larger in the sky. And finally, she convinced Barney to stop the car. This was south of Twin Mountain at the Mount Cleveland picnic area in New Hampshire. And they got out to take a look at it, to try to identify what it was and to walk the dog at the same time. And uh, Barney completely dismissed the idea that anyone could travel 
here that any extraterrestrials were visiting our planet. Betty was more open-minded, but she'd never read anything on uh, UFOs in that time frame. So they looked at it for a little while. It moved a little bit in the sky. Uh, it came, bounced back and came very uh close, not a close encounter, but much closer than it was. They got back into the car and started driving south because Varney wanted to be home by two o'clock in the morning. And um, so as they drove through Franconia Notch, the craft moved ahead of them and they could see it travel over the top of uh, Cannon Mountain, then by a landmark. We in New Hampshire, the old man of the mountain. At that point, it was about one and a half times the length of the old man's profile, which was 42 feet from forehead to chin line. So um, a very large craft. Uh, it appeared to be lighted on one side and it appeared to be rotating. They looked at it, they got back into the car and headed south again. This. Uh, object continued to travel in an erratic pattern. It wasn't like a traditional kind of conventional aircraft. Uh, they then exited Franconia Notch and went into the tourist area known as Lincoln, New Hampshire, past uh, a landmark called Indian Head. And all of a sudden, this craft surged forward and stopped over their vehicle. Barney slammed on the brakes and was actually in the middle of the road so that he wouldn't be directly underneath the craft. It descended to within about 100 feet of their car. That was the estimated distance. Barney stepped out of the car with his binoculars to take a closer look at it. Betty was watching it. In the Air Force Project Blue Book report, they reported at this point, it was as large as a dinner plate at arm's length, meaning it was very large, yes. filled up the field of the windshield. Uh, as Barney looked at it, he stepped back and it then shifted to an adjacent field and Barney followed it into the field, still trying to identify it, taking the binoculars away from his eyes, shaking his head, saying it can't be. And he was having a, a moment, more than a moment of cognitive dissonance. But he could see alien creatures at this point? He looked up, the binoculars. Yes. yes, and this was part of his conscious recall. He could see eight to 11 non-human entities staring down at him, dressed in black, shiny uniforms. One remained at the window while all of the others in uniform unison uh, seemed to walk to what appeared to be kind of a panel on the back side of away from the windows on the sort of corridor on the front of the craft and when they did their arms went up in the air and these little fin-like structures started to move out of the sides of this like circular disc and there were red lights there then something started to drop down so, well, we're going to have to break there because it's time for us to do that. When we come back, we'll get the to the point where they get a, taken into the craft and what they might have experienced there and that sort of thing. I'll have more information about this at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And if I remember when we come back, I'll have uh, Kathleen Martin give her website so that you can look up information about her research and what she's been doing in the past several decades. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. I should talk about the buzzing sounds on the trunk after the, the crap we built the top of the car. Okay. I'm listening to music now. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? 
Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. I am still in Roswell, New Mexico, as I told you, and I'm still with Kathleen Martin. We were talking about the Barney and Betty Hill abduction, and we're about to the point where they're taken aboard the craft. So I'm going to turn it back over to Kathleen and let her ramble on, <laughs> as they say. Uh, tell us what, what uh, transpired next. Okay. Barney had the impression that they had a plan for him and that he was going to be captured, quote, like a bug in a net, close quote. He pulled the binoculars away from his eyes so strenuously that he broke the leather strap, went running back to the car, screaming to Betty in a hysterical condition that they had to get out of there or they were going to be captured. He went speeding down the highway, and they heard a series of code-like buzzing sounds striking the trunk of the vehicle. It caused the vehicle to vibrate and for a tingling sensation to pass through their bodies. The next thing they knew, they were 35 miles down the highway with very little memory of what had happened in the interim. They remembered observing a fiery orb sitting on the ground. They remembered observing a roadblock. They didn't know where or when that happened. Uh, Barney said to Betty, I'm going to prove to you that that was not a flying saucer. I can make those sounds myself on the car. He stopped the car. He drove from side to side. He could not make those sounds. They drove on toward their home on the seacoast, looking for a police officer to report this to. They didn't see one along the way. They arrived at about five o'clock in the morning. So they're way, they're way late, and now yes. we have uh, what's known as missing time. Yes, absolutely. There was also physical evidence that something happened to them. Betty's best dress uh, was in fine shape when she put it on the previous morning. It now had a tear from waist to hemline on the lining. The hem was torn down on one side. There was a tear in the thick zipper fabric at the top of her dress, and the stitching was torn out along the, the top of the zipper. So they're very confused about what's happened. They have no idea how they got where they are. There's damage to the clothing. There's Eventually, they find markings on the car as well. Yes. What uh, inspired them to contact people about uh, the UFO sighting? And I mean, she went to NICAP, I believe. Didn't she mention it's an NICAP at some point? Write a letter to Don Kehoe? She did write a letter to Donald Kehoe on uh, September 26, 1961, so shortly after of, the incident. Yeah, so just a couple of days later. Yes. And that contains the evidence that Barney did indeed see figures on that craft dressed in black shiny uniforms who frightened him greatly. Uh, she also talked about the stair-step pattern of the flight of the craft. And uh, so and did she, she suggest hypnosis in the text of the letter? No, I don't think so. Um, I, 
I don't think she mentioned hypnosis. Uh, maybe she did, and I'm just not remembering that. It's well, been a while think, since I, I read it. Controversy is that I think Fuller in his book had quoted parts of the letter, had, but there was a quote that he'd left out. I think Mark Rodiger at the Center for Yellow Studies had discovered it, that uh, she had suggested maybe hypnosis would help them. Okay, so. well, I can tell you that my father, two days after this happened, suggested hypnosis okay. to them, and then later... In November of 1961, Robert Homan and C.D. Jackson again recommended hypnosis. And Betty and Marnie actually did go to a psychiatrist uh, at Balpate in Massachusetts, and uh, they wanted hypnosis. And he said, I don't want to do hypnosis now. Over time, you'll remember more. And they did remember more. And they continued to go to upstate New Hampshire to look for that area where they saw the fiery orb sitting on the ground, to try to identify that location. Finally, Barney ended up having uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, what we call that now, and he was referred to Dr. Benjamin Simon, who uh, was a neuropsychiatrist, set up the neuropsychiatric unit at the Mason General Hospital on Long Island to treat veterans who were returning from the war during World War II, and um, he very successfully treated them for shell shock and well, conversion hysteria. So under, under the hypnotic regression then, and uh, they began to remember more about what had happened to them. Yes. So let's, let's get to that, the meat of the story here. They're taken from their car, Betty remembers going up uh, some steps or something like A ramp. That. A ramp. It was a ramp. And she, in her dream, it was steps. In hypnosis, it was a ramp. Okay, so she's had dreams about this prior to the hypnotic regressions. Then. She had five dreams just before she woke up in the morning. Uh, and part of the work I did was a comparative analysis of their statements and also compared their statements to what she had written about her dreams. Well, let's get us let's get into the craft. Mm -hmm. They get into the craft. What happens to them when they're on board the craft? Are they separated? They're separated. They're taken to two separate examining rooms. Uh, they're uh, these entities. The one that they called the examiner was very interested in their joints, in their nervous system, examined their hands and feet very carefully, looked into their eyes, their mouths, um, et cetera, uh, inter very interested in their spinal column. And for Betty, um, they removed her dress, probably breaking the zipper along the way, and uh, inserted a needle into her navel that caused a great deal of pain. And the one that she called the leader took that pain away. Did she undergo a gynecological examination? No, she did not. So it was just the, the needle into the abdomen? Into the abdomen, yes. If she did, she never told anybody. It would be too embarrassing. <laughs> well, yeah, you know? that's, that's true. And, well, maybe not in today's environment, but certainly well, <laughs> in that time frame. Yes. And for Barney, he underwent the same kind of physical examination that Betty underwent. They were very interested in his hands and his feet and his skeletal system and his nervous system. And they also took a sperm sample from him. Okay. Um, and I suppose they did it with a needle into the abdomen or into the... Not, no, they placed a cup-like device oh, okay. over his penis. Oh, okay. Well, that's... Intriguing, I suppose. Um, how long did these examinations last? Did we have a time frame there? How long they might have been on the craft? Well, they had about two hours missing time. So, you know, you have to account for the time where the car was stopped and they were taken out and then the car was returned. Um, so probably... I would say maybe an hour to an hour and a half on the craft. Well, let's let's get to the star map. Mm -hmm. Betty Hill said that she uh, asked the leader where they came from. Yes, yes. She and, said, where's your home port? <laughs> I know he, you're not from around here. He produced a map. Yes, he did. Was it a three-dimensional map? Uh, yes, it was a three-dimensional map. So it was in 3D, map. and she's now having to convert it to two dimensions. Yes, and what did he, what what transpired, what kind of conversation transpired at that point? At that point, um, 
he said to her, do you know where you are on this map? And she said, no, I don't know very much about the universe. And uh, he said, well, if you don't know where you are, how can I tell you where we are? And uh, so that was sort of the, the end of it. It seems to me if the if the leader knew where he was at that point, meaning where we are, he certainly could have oriented it to the map had he wanted to do so. I do believe that he could have, <laughs> but he didn't want to, apparently. So the, the map, uh, the first time she recalled it was uh, in a dream? Yes, it was in a dream. That I've always had questions about that map because she had a dream about the map and then under hypnosis she recalled the map again so uh, that was something when I wrote captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience I didn't want to uh, discuss and so I thought that I should be fair to Betty and Barney and ask Danton Friedman to write those chapters about, uh, the, map. about the star map and in the, the investigation map. of the star map um, and so uh, he did. He was involved in the star map because it had been investigated by Marjorie Fish, who was a brilliant woman from Ohio. She had actually constructed 23 separate models of that star map. Uh, well, no, what you, I, and, and the three-dimensional models. Models using... of uh, using monofilament line and beads of different sizes and colors. She had to go to Ohio State University and she had to go to the astronomy department and copy from the manuals the distance data. Then she took that data to her house and she built models of our local galactic neighborhood out 54 light years. In 1971, she still didn't have a match, but a new catalog came out and it had different distance data on a couple of the stars, and then three stars were now on the map that hadn't been there previously, and she had a reasonably close match. So by studying these from different angles, she was going, she, she eventually found a match for that. But didn't Betty Hill have a different idea where it might have been from? She had come up with a she had analysis? Initially, there was something in the, the Boston newspaper and I believe it involved Carl Sagan and the discovery of uh, satellite, I think it might have been. It was something that was okay. out there. And originally she thought, gee, that reminded her. Okay. Um, we'll explore this a little bit more in just a moment. We're going to have to take another break. Mm -hmm. just, just when it's getting good, we have to take a break. Once again, it's uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Your website is? Kathleen-Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N.com. Well, there you go. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hyde can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? 
When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. Imagine how you would feel. You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit NumberOneFear.com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking. I am joined with by Kathleen Martin. We are here in Roswell, New Mexico. We're talking about the Barney and Betty Hill abduction. And when we broke for uh, the commercial breaks, we were talking about the star map and the Marjorie Fish's Herculean effort to identify the part of the galaxy that the aliens came from. Um, but, but didn't she make a number of assumptions about the map? She didn't include wet red dwarfs on it, for example. Uh, yes, she, so she was looking for Earth-like or, or uh, stars that could have Earth-like planets. But can't there be Earth-like planets around red dwarfs? Well, you know, that's not my specialty. <laughs> okay. I'm the social scientist here. I'm not an astronomer. Well, um, I have said recently a number of times uh, on my blog that I, I think the star map is an interesting piece of, of uh, evidence. Mm -hmm. And that we found something that, that fit in with that. But the um, updated catalogs we have now, star catalogs, since I not yes. suggest that some of the stars are further away than Marjorie Fish knew or that were closer. They're not oriented quite in the same places anymore. So I've advocated that we update the star map. Yes. Somebody updates the star map. Has, has that and been done? Somebody has done that. Uh, a young astrophysicist. And the work is on YouTube. You can go to my website for the link you'll find it there and your website is just and again. it is kathleen-marden m-a-r-d-e-n dot com okay and what did it verify what marjorie fish had found or did it lead us in a little bit of a different <laughs> it direction it did pretty much verify what marjorie fish had found that uh, betty's map was still about 94 95 percent accurate i believe are you aware of the movie Alien? No. Okay. In in the movie Alien, they're trying to find these. They're they're coming back to Earth. That are the humans are coming back to Earth on a some kind of explore exploration or mining operation, and the problem is that they're falling out of warp space or whatever, and they're looking for the system. They're trying to contact the outpost on Pluto or whatever so they can enter their system. And they identified the system as Seda Reticuli. Mm -hmm. Oh, very interesting. I do not know if the uh, writers of the movie or the director of the movie knew about the Barney and Betty Hill case. I and bet the they did. The Seda Reticuli, <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that they they, they found themselves at Seda Reticuli and came up with an name. Yes, because those were the two stars that uh, Marjorie had identified Zeta as being one, in the foreground. Zeta 1, Zeta 2, Reticuli yes. being a double star system. Yes. And... The updated version suggests it's the same pair of stars. Yes. Okay. Um, what I wanted to ask you is, of course, the program project, you have a project uh, Blue Book on the History Channel. No, uh, yeah, Project Blue Book on the History Channel did a segment that kind of related to the Barney and Betty Hill case. What was your reaction to that? Well, at first I was excited about seeing this. They informed me that uh, it was going to be on. I offered to give them any evidence they needed uh, so that they could be completely accurate because I thought that was a pretty exciting story by itself. But what I saw on Project Blue Book was unidentifiable as even being the Hill case. I was extremely they, disappointed. They at least had a mixed race cop. No, they didn't. Oh, they didn't? They, no, my Aunt Betty was black. <laughs> I didn't know. I, for some and I was I saying, look that. at me. Do I look like I have two black uh, aunt, uh, aunt and uncle? <laughs> I'm blonde. <laughs> so so they, uh, they didn't consult you at all about this? No, they, they only informed me they were doing it. They said they were all set. They didn't need any information or documentation from me. Did, 
there was an Air Force Project Blue Book. I mean, the, the regular Project Blue Book. They did take a report about the Hill sighting, but did it have anything to do with the abduction? Uh, they didn't know about the abduction at that time. The Project uh, Blue Book record report uh, is fairly extensive, and it says almost everything that Betty and Barney stated in their conscious recall of the event. Did the Air Force ever try to contact them after uh, Fuller's book came out or the uh, articles appeared in the Boston newspapers? Uh, I'm, I don't think that they did. They said that the witnesses were not available for a further interview, which was false. Well, that, that, would, that would raise a question, raise a question in my mind. Uh, the Air Force would have contacted Bonnie and Betty Hill and asked them uh, to participate in an interview. They, you're saying they didn't refuse to that sort of thing. It just, right. Did the Air Force even contact them? Well, Betty and Barney gave the initial interviews. Uh, in the initial interviews, the Pease Air Force Base stated that uh, they had an unusual sighting on radar the night before. I later discovered uh, through my research that the North Concord, Vermont uh, radar station also had picked up a very large uh, object traveling in an erratic pattern against the wind earlier that evening. And it's all in my book Captured, The Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience with Stanton Friedman. Very, very interesting that the Air Force actually did uh, look into this. Later on, there were two Air Force officers at Maxwell Air Force Base who wrote a paper asking if Project Blue Book should be reopened. Well, Maxwell Air Force Base, of course, is in Alabama. Mm -hmm. And these were these officers in, um, I think there was a Air Force school down there. Yes, the there was. So they were they were doing a paper for their assignment and they, they thought the Air Force should reopen Project Blue Book? Uh, possibly, and they took a look at the Hill case. And they said uh, that uh, the Air Force's uh, account of what happened to Betty and Barney was almost as erratic as the UFO sighting itself. And they said that uh, there were actual bona fide radar sightings, uh, radar tracking, and that it should have been given more attention by the Air Force. The Air Force had a dismissive attitude, which they should not have had, and uh, they did indeed believe that uh, a new look should be taken uh, at that case because it was a violation of the Air Force rules that they had uh, that, that um, Edward Ruppelt had written way back in 1952 that any radar tracking should be further investigated. Well, there's a, a couple of discrepancies I found in Fuller's book in the descriptions. One is, and I, the skeptics have made a big deal about Barney Hill being influenced by a um, outer limits program called the Bolero Shield, which I'm sure you're. <laughs> yes, I uh, looked into that. I also found a, a Twilight Zone episode called Hocus Pocus and Fizz, Frisbee, where he's abducted by alien creatures. <laughs> Andy Devine was the abductee in that case. Why well, I bring this up is at one point Barney, or Betty said to Barney, I think, uh, have you been watching The Twilight Zone again? Mm -hmm. And that would suggest a possibility. Well, not have you wa been watching it again. Well, been watching the Because Twilight they Zone. hadn't watched it. Barney worked nights. Mm -hmm. He wasn't even home to watch it. And that wasn't the kind of show that they watched anyway. They were very politically involved and went to political meetings at night, had a lot of company at night. Uh, what I ended up, asking Betty, you know, after Barney died, if in fact they did have an interest in science fiction, if they had watched these shows, and Betty said flat out no. But she did mention, she obviously knew what the program was well, about. There were, was a lot of talk about um, the, what was it called, the show? Twilight Zone? The oh. Twilight Zone, yes. And so she mentioned that to him. The other thing that I noticed is in the, um, Fuller book, she described the aliens as having big, huge noses like Jimmy Durante. That was part of her dream. 
That was part of her dream. Yes. That, so under hypnosis, the descriptions of the aliens came out different. Yes, it did. Isn't that a bit problematic, though? I don't think it's problematic because I think that uh, dreams include fantasy material. I've never believed that uh, Betty's account of what happened on the craft was exactly the same as in her dreams. I, I was highly skeptical. And that's why I did a comparative analysis of their statements. And what I found out is that Betty's and Barney's separate statements under hypnosis meshed, but were different from a lot of the material in her dreams. So Fuller, I guess, based part of his book on material that she had recovered through her dreams as opposed to the hypnotic regression sessions? Well, there were... He, he did put the hypnotic regression sessions in um, his book yeah. on that topic, and her dreams are published at the end of that book, so you can read those. But I did you know, a sentence-by-sentence sentence comparative analysis and discovered. Let me give you an example. In Betty's dreams, she and Barney um, came to a stop they were surrounded by these non-human entities. What they said under hypnosis was that uh, three went to Betty's door, three went to Barney's. They divided into two groups. They didn't surround the car. They opened the doors and they took Betty and Barney out. Okay. Uh, we're going to have to take another break here. When we come back, I'm going to ask you, you, you do a lot of abduction research for the uh, for MUFON and things mm -hmm. like that. So I, I, we won't have a lot of time, but we can talk a little bit about what your research has showed you and a couple of questions I have about that. Uh, once again, if you take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, I'll link to some of these other stories as well about the Bonnie and Betty Hill case so you can take a look at it. And while I have you on the phone here, uh, <laughs> that's a bit, bit of a joke, uh, take a look at the book Encounters in the Desert, which is my take on the Lonnie Zamora case with the alien creatures and the Air Force investigation of that and how they handled the Air Force investigation. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. Foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzulli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Christopher Fulton is a survivor of the National Security State. 
All he wanted to do was preserve history when he acquired a Cartier watch from the estate of President Kennedy's personal secretary. But that simple act set off a terrible chain reaction. He was pursued by the U.S. Justice Department and the FBI, thrust into the middle of the U.S. government's Assassination Records Review Board, even monitored and pursued by the Russian government. All because that Cartier watch was the missing link of evidence, a timepiece worn by JFK that fateful day in Dallas, a link resulting in Christopher being incarcerated and attacked for nine years because he opened a hidden chapter in history. The intriguing journey outlined fully in Christopher Fulton's memoir, The Inheritance, is available now through Trinday.com or Amazon.com. The Inheritance, Poisoned Fruit of JFK's Assassination by Christopher and Michelle Fulton is a must-read, an incredible tale of how easily our own government can overrule justice. The Inheritance, Poisoned Fruit of JFK's Assassination. I am joined by Kathleen Martin. We're talking alien abductions. I know she's the uh, MUFON director of abduction research. Yes, experience or research experience is what we call it now. Okay. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is about sleep paralysis, mm -hmm. because many of the symptoms of sleep paralysis mimic the symptoms of alien abduction. Absolutely. And I've, I've been very concerned about that. Is there a way to separate a legitimate uh, episode of sleep paralysis from an alien abduction? Is there some kind of methodology that can be used to determine whether it was just sleep paralysis as opposed to an abduction? Well, what I did in one of our most recent studies is we asked the question, uh, have you uh, awakened, paralyzed, able only to move your eyes, and have you seen figures in your bedroom? Well, nearly all of the experiencers said, yes, they had. And then I asked, have you been wide awake and observe figures coming into your environment and then become paralyzed? And those who were identified as abductees uh, stated yes, but only a very small percentage, only 35% of the 516 experiencers said that. So most of them had the characteristics of sleep paralysis, but uh, only a smaller percentage had the characteristics of a person who had a real experience where they were wide awake, saw entities, and then became paralyzed. So then um, you're suggesting you do not carry further research on those that are, have experienced sleep paralysis? If you tell them that they only have been sleep paralysis? Or no, that we don't do that. <laughs> My team, you know, my team attempts to help everyone who contacts us. We're more of a support team, uh, yet we do have investigators on our team as well. It depends upon what the person is looking for when they contact us. If they need help, if they need understanding, uh, then the specialists on my team will help them in any way they need. To be helped. But doesn't that kind of complicate the uh, the research because it, it's really difficult to be a good researcher and a good therapist at the same time? They, they often conflict? Well, we weren't doing research. Our research arm is different from that. Okay. I work on the research end of it. That is what I enjoy doing most. But we do have individuals on our team who are specialists in um, supporting experiencers. We also have others who are highly skilled investigators. But I guess the question is, um, if, if somebody comes to you as an experiencer, um, I guess I'm trying to form the question actually, is, <laughs> is how do we do, how do we separate the research from the therapy? Uh, because they're going to different teams. Right, well, what we do is members of my team speak with these individuals in a non-judgmental way. It depends upon what they're looking for. If they want an investigation, if they have evidence, which a lot of people don't have, but if they have evidence, then we can proceed with the investigation. If they uh, simply feel traumatized, if they want a support group, if they want to enter into a private relationship with a psychotherapist 
or a hypnotherapist. We also have a list of vetted individuals, professionals that they can enter into a private relationship with, and they they are then separated from MUFON. So you've got uh, a group of experiencers who come to you and they come to you for an investigation to find out what happened to them, and they're treated differently, which is really kind of pejorative, I guess, to yes. say that. Yes, yes. Uh, but treated, treated, they go into a different group for the investigation, so there's no real therapy going on there? They can have therapy after the investigation, after. but the investigation is scientific. We're looking for scientific evidence, and the investigation has to take place before we can uh, go into the support part of that. But it's the person who the person who comes to you determines which group they go into. Yes, absolutely. It's their decision. Has there been any startling finds, anything that you found that has been really surprising to you when you're looking into these things? Well, for me, uh, occasionally I do my own investigations, and the the typical abduction investigation is old hat. It's become boring. So I have uh, done an investigation uh, that I found to be highly credible. This took place... Uh, at an airport in southwestern United States, the owner of the airport the um, and commercial pilots were the, the witnesses in this case. And it was very similar to what happened on the Skinwalker Ranch in northern U northeastern Utah. And so I found that to be fascinating. What was it? What, what do you mean similar to that? Well, we had... Uh, UFOs that came in that were being filmed that were observed by MUFON investigators. We also had uh, an abduction that started to take place. We had time slips where the, the witness and his mother actually saw mammoths grazing on a grassy plain instead of the runway. One night, there was a kind of paranormal phenomena going on. Very, very strange. Well, you know what the skeptical reactions would be. What were they drinking? Right, yes, but they did not drink. But, I mean, it, it sounds like hallucinations. It does, but there are witnesses, too. So all of them had to be hallucinating at the same time. But if they're, if they're all together and they're discussing what's going on, I mean, that suggests some kind of contamination is possible. Well... I, I disagree with that. <laughs> I disagree because I think people are capable of having their own thoughts and they'd no, have to be no, no, pretty saying, darn gullible. No, I'm, I'm saying that, that when you get into a group like that it, and you start discussing these sorts of things that you can cross-contaminate one another and then there are many ex, uh, examples of that happening where people's... Well, if you want, if you want to bring in public hysteria where people are just dying to see a UFO and and uh, they can convince themselves that that's what they have seen. But, but this is different. There, but, there was a, a former state cop involved in this. But you, there was uh, some kind of external evidence for this, not just the testimony? I had photographic evidence okay. of it as well. Has this been published somewhere? Um, I wrote a little bit about it in my new book, and that new book is Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You've Been Abducted. So I'm doing an awfully good job of getting you opportunities to mention your book. Absolutely. <laughs> I appreciate that. Which is the whole point, I guess. Uh, so is that book out now or is it you just... Still... It will be released on September 1st, but it's available for purchase on my website. Physical copies? Or... Yes, physical copies. So it is, it is available then. Uh, because I purchased those copies. Uh, it will be officially re released September 1st. And the evidence, the physical evidence, it's photographic evidence, I assume, or is there landing traces? There's a little bit of photographic evidence uh, in what I have written. I've written about a variety of different cases uh, that I have personally investigated. In one of those cases, the, the witness was diagnosed with lymphoma and uh, was healed and uh, actually has photographic evidence of an orb that slid down his wall, 
fell, uh, traveled across the room, dove down into his body. He slept for 12 hours. And when he awakened, the nodes in his neck were much smaller than they had been. By the time he went in for surgery, uh, he had four tiny necrotic nodes removed. There's a medical doctor who has his records and has written about that in Free's book, Beyond UFOs. But um, is that necessarily extraterrestrial, extraterrestrially related? Well, he was, he is possibly, but he is an abductee and there was evidence of that. The evidence would be quickly because well, of the time. <laughs> yes, aside from his, his sightings, uh, I had submitted uh, his t-shirt uh, for analysis in a laboratory. He had a possible implant removed. It uh, hadn't been there before he had uh, been abducted. It was there. It was removed and sent to a scientific laboratory. Unfortunately, it had dissolved by the time uh, it was ready to be analyzed, and that has happened in other cases as well. Well, I hate to say this, but we're out of time. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been a fascinating discussion, and I like I, I enjoyed some of the insights into the Barney and Betty Hill case that comes from someone who knew them intimately, as opposed to researchers and that sort of thing and skeptics. Mm -hmm. uh, the website, once again, is... It is Kathleen-Marden.com. And you'll and you have a lot of information up there and resources available. Yes, there is a lot of information on that website, and you can purchase autographed copies of any of my books there. Well, thank you very much, Kathleen. I appreciate you joining us here in Roswell, New Mexico. I mentioned that again, so people know we're actually in Roswell, New Mexico, and I'm sitting in the room with Kathleen face Martin, to face, which is which is kind of fun as well. Uh, once again, I'll be doing um, stuff on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot. And the next uh, show up will probably be my reflections on what happened in Roswell, meaning during the festival and that sort of thing, uh, when we uh, come back in about 167 hours from this. So uh, look us up, take a look, and uh, have fun out there. Thank you for listening. <sighs> so are you interviewing all of the researchers here? If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? 
Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.